There's a story about the great Western theologian and bishop, Augustine of Hippo, walking along the coastline on the North Mediterranean coast, uh, getting a headache as he thinks about the mystery of the Trinity. But he perseveres with it because he feels like he is close to cracking the code. He is close to at last understanding it. And as he's walking along with this ever-growing severe headache, he comes across a small boy, and he asks the boy what he's doing. And the boy says, I am pouring the entire ocean through this small hole. And this great bishop goes, Well, that's nonsense. You can't possibly do that. What a silly thing to think. To which the small boy responds, And to you, Bishop Augustine, how silly it is to think that you will be able to understand the mystery of the Trinity. (laughs) And then the small boy disappears. Now that story should invite us to uh, therefore give up on talking about the Trinity and uh, move on to other more understandable things. However, Bishop Augustine did not give up on thinking about the Trinity And he wrote one of his great works on the Trinity as a result of his thinking. So why would he do that? Why would he put up with this headache and write this work which gives you a headache to read? Well, he was a bishop in a time of great crisis in the church. The Western Empire, which had ruled the world, well the Western world for So many centuries they couldn't even fathom what it would be like without it was crumbling. Rome was sacked by the Vandals and the Goths. And in the midst of this was a church under crisis. What was the role of the church in this new world? What was life to be like in this new world? And so Bishop Augustine wrote on the Trinity to help his people understand what it meant to be church in that situation. The same is true for the other great Trinitarian theologian, Athanasius. He was bishop in a time a hundred years earlier when the church had suddenly gone from persecuted outsiders to insiders with the victory of Constantine and his becoming emperor under the cross, under the banner of the cross. The church had moved from out there to in the centre. And the great fights at the Council of Nicaea and other councils, which were to us seem so esoteric, were actually all about who are we as church in the midst of this changed environment? And how do we live out the gospel in this new world? We too are in a world of change. I've talked repeatedly about how the maps that we have used for so long to understand what it means to be church no longer work. And so it seems to me that maybe this concept of the Trinity has something to teach us as we try to re-understand who we are in the face of this new world. Now here are two examples of the importance of our understanding around God and how it shapes how we live out our faith. 
I'm in the middle of reading a, bi a biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was uh, one of the great uh, theologians of the last century. He was uh, a young German theologian in Nazi Germany, and he was one of the leaders of the Confessing Church and uh, eventually of the conspiracy to assassinate Hitler, and he was executed with about a day to go in the, in the European Second World War. Now, what amazed me as I read that biography was how quickly the German church was colonised by a national socialism. Within a year, Hitler had been able to appoint a Reich bishop to a Reich church, and that Reich bishop was able to say that every new pastor would swear allegiance to Hitler as the Fuhrer. Within a year. How did that happen? Because in Germany, being Lutheran was an intrinsic part of being German. But everything was understood through the eyes of being German. And to be German meant to be strong and powerful and moral. And God was therefore understood as a strong and powerful and moral force. And the role of the church was to both live out that strength and power and morality and to impose that strength and power and morality on German society. And National Socialism was seen as a very good way of doing that. And so many German Christians embraced National Socialism as a proper way of living out their Christian faith. It was a very small step. Now we contrast that with St Francis of Assisi, who also had a very huge idea, understanding of the transcendence of God. His language around God the Father is much more flowery than anything we would ever use. On a good day we might say, Almighty God. Whereas Francis would begin his prayers with, O God, most high, omnipotent, good Lord, or something else equally as long and sometimes even longer. The transcendence and the power and the strength of God was paramount to Francis. But he also understood that this all-powerful, omnipotent God bent down in love in the person of Jesus embraced total poverty, absolute poverty, embraced weakness to become one of us, fully human, fully divine, a helpless baby, completely at the mercy of all humanity as a sign of God's profound and infinite love for us. And the only response he could make to that was to embrace his own absolute poverty and to give away everything that he had and to live the rest of his life as a beggar. And he could only do that, he understood, because the Spirit sent by the Father and the Son gave him the wisdom to do that and the strength and the courage to live that out. So we have two contrasts. One a church that was stuck on a God of strength and power and might and morality, 
and another one who embraced the Trinity and was able to live out a completely different life because of that. Now, who we understand God to be shapes how we understand ourselves, how we understand church, and how we live that out. And those two examples show that. And that's why having a good theology of the Trinity is so important, especially on this day when we come to our AGM. So, now there's one other part of the Trinity that I think is quite important. And that's called, that is uh, in the Orthodox Church, the Eastern Church, a key part of their Trinitarian theology is not only understanding how the three persons of the Trinity operate, but also the life within the Trinity. And this life within the Trinity is seen as a dance, a dance of life and love. And they describe, as we do, the three persons of the Trinity as being co-eternal, which means the Father didn't come first. When we talk about persons, we kind of get confused and we think we can talk about the three persons of the Trinity in the same way that I can talk about myself and I can talk about Bonnie and I can talk about my son Michael and we can kind of separate those out and just talk about one and not worry about the other two, etc. But when it comes to the Trinity, it's like that video I showed last week where the guy stopped in the middle and said, when they say that the Spirit came like flames, they don't actually mean they were real flames, but they didn't really have the language to describe what was happening, so they said it was like flames. And so persons is like persons, but really we don't have the language to describe it. So persons is as good as we get, but it's a completely inadequate word. So the persons of the Trinity can only ever be talked about in relation to the other two. The Father is the Father of the Son. The Son is the Son of the Father. The Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son. The relational words are critical. You cannot talk about those persons in any other way. And they are co-eternal. They are equal. No person of the Trinity is more important than any other person. They are fully self-giving. They are fully self. They are fully receiving of everything the other two persons give. Now, the importance of this dance of the Trinity is that for the Eastern Church, we are invited into that dance. That dance of life and love, where no one is more important than the other where we are invited to be fully self-revealing and fully self-giving and fully receiving of all that the other gives. That is a magnificent vision of what life could be. Just imagine the kind of universe that this God would wish to create and the kind of church that this God would wish to be and the kind of people that this God would invite us to be as we are invited into that trinity. Now today is our AGM. So I thought I might, in light of that, make a couple of comments about how I understand my role in this place. Last week when I talked about the Spirit coming, I said that one of the things that that enabled those disciples to do was to let go. To let go of some of their biggest hopes and expectations. 
Well, I think there are some things that we need to let go of. And one of them is the primacy of Sunday mornings. We need to stop thinking that the point of church is what happens here on Sunday. Now, what happens here on Sunday is important. I love liturgy and I love what we do here. But it's not the point of our life as a church. The point of our life as a church is what happens the rest of the week as we live out being part of the dance of the Trinity as individuals and as a church. And that means we need to stop measuring our success as a church by how many people come on Sunday morning and instead measure our success as a church, if you can even measure that, by how faithfully we live out the gospel as a church, how we are the people of God in this place, in this community. And that is a much harder thing to talk about, and it's a much harder thing to measure. In fact, there'd be some people that would suggest you can't measure it, you just have to live it. So it's, I find myself often kind of flicking back and thinking, oh, well, how many people came on Sunday and how many families did we have and all of that kind of stuff. And I have to keep reminding myself that while it is important that we have a worshipping life because that is what undergirds everything that we do, it is not the measure of what we do. And a lot of the time we will do things that will have no impact on what happens on Sunday morning. And that's fine. That's a good thing. And the hope is that people will see what we are doing and want to join what we are doing. Not because we run the coolest Sunday services or the best children's ministry, but because we live out the gospel. The point of church is not what happens on Sunday. The second thing I think we need to let go of is that the vicar will have all the answers. Because this vicar doesn't. And in fact, I've never known a vicar that did. Joyce might have. (laughs) Some do think they do have all the answers. And I've sat in the pew and thought, oh, how sad this is. But in fact, we don't have the answers. I have on several occasions been asked, what do I want to see happen? And that is the wrong question. What I want to see happen isn't particularly important. The right question is, what do we want to see happen? And how is God speaking through us? I am part of this parish, and I play an important role in this parish, but I am not the person we need to worry about in terms of what we want to see happen. That is something all of us need to work out together. So when I'm asked, what do I want to see happen in terms of pastoral care? I want to see us caring for each other and working out together how we can do that. But how we do that, I don't know. We'll have to work that out together, and we are. How do we live out this gospel thing in this community? I want us to see see us living it out. But how? I don't know. We'll have to work that out together, and we are. And we're going to have to keep working at that. And we're going to have to keep doing it, constantly holding before us the Trinity of an all-powerful God the Father, 
and the son who embraces total and absolute poverty in a profound gesture of love and the spirit who will work with us to help us see the risen Christ still at work in our community. Or, as I've said repeatedly, as long as we hold the questions, whose are we, and who are we, and what is ours to do? But we have to hold those questions together and not rely on me. So, in light of all of that, I think we should stand and say the creed, one of the creeds that came out of these great councils, when the great arguments about the nature of the Trinity were going on, and we'd like to think they were all settled back then, but they rage on today and will rage on until the church ends at the end of time.